You're listening to Building the Game with Rob and Jason. It's Building the Game with Jason and Rob. For tabletop game design, you really can't go wrong. Building the Game, yeah, Building the Game. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, February 5th. 2018. You're listening to episode 297. My name is Rob. Jason couldn't be here tonight because his family has a plague, and I don't want to be anywhere near that crap. Uh, so, uh, so he he fended for himself for the last couple episodes, and now it's my turn. Um, but don't worry, he'll be back next week. You'll get his normal boring crap. Uh, instead of Jason tonight, I have a special guest, and and. Uh, as a part of introducing the special guest, I need to kind of tell a story. Uh, I think longtime builders know that uh, that I have a history, uh, a sordid history, so to speak, with BattleTech, and uh, and that's uh, largely thanks to the man that we have on here today. Um, see, when I was in when I was in high school, this would have been say 1995, maybe 95, 96. Uh, I, when I was living in Southern California, uh, I found out about a virtual world Battletech Center in uh, Pasadena, California, which was about two hours away from where I lived. So uh, my brother uh, had his driver's license, and we decided to drive to Pasadena one day and see what this was all about. And uh, and that triggered a, a bizarre uh, obsession, I might say, with us uh, to visit the Battletech Center, not because of Battletech, which was amazing, of course, but because of the other game that was featured at the virtual world location, and that was called Red Planet. Um, I think over the course of about a year and a half before that location shut down, or at least until it got to a point where I couldn't go anymore, uh, I think we probably went there eight, maybe ten times, uh, and it was way too expensive for a couple of high school kids, but we made it work anyway. Um, so fast forward to the early 2000s, I had uh, moved to Michigan and, and forgotten all about Battletech and Virtual World. And, uh, and, and Builders, I'm sorry, I'm probably getting ahead of myself. We'll explain what Virtual World is in a minute. Um, but uh, fast forward, I, I, uh, I was uh, on my way. I was going to take a trip to, uh, to Chicago with a, with a girlfriend. And I found out that there was a place there called Dave & Buster's that had these old Battletech VR pods. And I just totally geeked out. Because I thought I thought those things didn't exist anymore, um, so I convinced my girlfriend to to let me take a couple hours away from shopping, to go to Dave and Buster's in Chicago and play BattleTech, and uh, she had zero interest in it, uh, but she let me do it anyway, and uh, I managed to play a few games and it was it was better than I remembered because they actually had newer versions of the pods than I had experienced before. Uh, I think we'll talk about that too, maybe a little bit. Um, and then I got to talking with the guy who's running the uh, running the show there. I don't recall his name, unfortunately. But uh, but in chatting with him, I said, "Oh yeah, I'm from Kalamazoo, Michigan." And he said, "Oh hell, holy cow, you you got to look up prop wash." Uh, and I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> uh, but it turns out prop wash was the was the call sign of uh, of a guy here in Kalamazoo uh, who uh, who owned a bunch of BattleTech pods in his garage in my hometown, Kalamazoo, Michigan, which blew my mind. Uh, we got home. I reached out to him through through the website mechjock.com, which I'm not even sure if it's still running now. Hope it is. Uh, I reached out and uh, and I met 
Nick Smith, and uh, uh, he invited me to his house for a Battletech party, or for I should say for a virtual world party, uh, and uh, and the rest is history. Um, through through and Nick, I don't know, and Nick's Nick's on the line with us. Hi, Nick. Hello. Hi. So I don't know if you know this little piece of piece of my own personal history, and the uh, I, I'll say this: every friend that I have right now. Uh, the the woman that I am married to is thanks to you and the community that you built in your garage there, because through through the community that you built and through the friends that I made, I found I, I I got a new job and through that job I I met a whole lot of people all of my best friends right now I met through that job and through the pods of course I met my wife that way and uh, if not for you and the community that you built I'd be a different person today uh, so. So I'm going to start off by saying thank you for for what you gave me and what you gave so many of us here in Kalamazoo, and uh, 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 just I, I I felt like it was I don't know if I've ever said, said that to you before and I wanted to share that. Well, I, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm I'm quite honored and 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 tickled by that. And uh, you know, I've always said that the you know uh, the community. Uh, around our, our goofy little hobby has always been in, incredibly powerful. And I think we all have really interesting stories on how we connect through gaming or little so, social microcosms uh, around games or certain hobbies. And, and no, you've never told me that story. So I, I will admit I'm a little bit uh, choked up. You know, I've been, been doing this a long time. And, you know, my thrill has always been around the, the curating and experience and bringing something unique uh, and, and really exciting to people. And uh, I've, I've got a lot of stories uh, personally like that. And, and I don't know, maybe we'll go into some of that uh, tonight. So thank you. Thank you for telling me that. And, and thank you for sharing that. Uh, well, you're welcome. And it's it's cool to have you on the show. I, I wanted to, to talk with you to talk about um, Battletech and talk about Virtual World and talk about Red Planet. I mean, um, Battletech is so many things and has taken so many forms in gaming and in our culture. And, and nobody knows it. It, better than you it, it, nobody I've met knows it better than you um, but you've also got that angle of of virtual world entertainment you're, you're, you're so connected with that so I don't even know where to start by talking about it, but but why don't we why don't we talk about virtual world and, and and your history with that and what your connection to it is today sure um, you know I don't think the, the start of my story is not uh, vastly different than yours um, you know back when I was uh, younger and in school, I remember the, I think it was the second issue of Nintendo Power came out. <laughs> and there was this, the, the grand prize for their competition uh, of for that particular issue was to have a VIP experience at the Battletech Center in Chicago. And the neighborhood that I grew up in, uh, you know, a friend of mine by the name of Jason Randall, he had a PC and, and, and he had this you know, he was really into board games, and, and, and one particular game that he was really into was the original uh, uh, Battletech uh, board game. And he always tried to get me into this kind of gaming, but I've got the attention span of a dyslexic gnat, so it was very <laughs> difficult to, to get me into that. But that was really my first exposure into you know, the whole westernized mecha. You know, I was I was never really uh, excited uh, about a lot of the uh, Asian 
style storytelling and, and the mecha with all the magic and and things like that. Um, uh, maybe with exception to Voltron, uh, I'm going to have to you know show some love for Voltron. Yeah. But you know this this westernized style you know mecha you know as a kid of the uh, you know late Cold War, this was really cool stuff. And and Jason being the only guy I knew with a, a computer, he had all of these cool computer games and simulators and flight simulators. And back then we're talking pre CGA graphics. We're talking some really basic stuff. Nice. And seeing this BattleTech game uh, inside of this arcade cabinet with all of these buttons and, and, and functions and, and this incredible display system that you'd never really seen outside of a, a, a what you saw on, on TV, what a military simulator would look like. This was this was just incredible uh, to us. And and and. Yeah, Chicago is two hours away from Kalamazoo, but you know, at, at at the age we are that at that time, it may as well have been on the moon. It was the same thing. It was just, yeah. it just like watching, you know, Knight Rider on TV. It's like, ooh, everybody wish they could have the talking car. This this was just so far out there. And you know, years later, uh, I was involved in a uh, computer club um, at, at in high school, and they were doing a field trip to. Fermi Lab just outside of Chicago, uh, and I think visiting a steel mill. And one of the little side trips everybody convinced our teacher to do was let's go to the BattleTech Center and sign me up. Let's go. Nice. And so my first experience was was at the BattleTech Center downtown Chicago uh, at that time Navy Pier Mall. Mm-hmm. Um, was uh, December December ninth, nineteen ninety two at nine twenty seven p.m. Um, and no, I don't have that committed to memory, but right here on my display uh, of a lot of my uh, uh, BattleTech stuff uh, in down here in the man cave uh, is my very first log sheet, my very first mission there. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, so, uh, you know, after that, you know, I tried to make my way to Chicago at least every you know few months or so, take whatever money I could scrounge. I would go when the prices were the lowest. Um, of course, I would go in there when there was actually no other people playing, and so I would play the employees and get my butt handed to me uh, <laughs> consistently by those that went by the call signs, like Dark Lord, who was a manager there, who I am still in pretty good contact with, and, and then a few other pilots out there. And, um, you know, it just, it, it was kind of my thing. And as years went on and the internet became kind of a thing, you know, I always kind of kept it close to my heart. And then one day I went out to Chicago and. The BattleTech Center was closed. It was gone. Oh. Um, and at the time, I didn't. I, I never figured out where it went at that or at that point in time. Um, so I came back to Kalamazoo with my tail between my legs and decided, "Yeah, I have the internet. I'm going to find out where these things went." And uh, you know, a, a bit of a quest. I I learned one. Those cockpits actually just went down the road to Dave and Buster's, of which you had mentioned. Um, but there were older cockpits that seemed to have vanished. And then it became a bit of a mission of mine to find out where the old cockpits went. And at some point in time, in, back in 99, I, I found out that there was a set of non-functional cockpits down in Irvine, California, that were owned by a company called Fighter Town. And the guy posted an obscure post on Usenet and said, hey, I've got these. They don't work. There's uh, a price. Come get them. I said, I'm game. Uh, you know, got some, uh, grabbed a few credit cards, grabbed some cash, flew out to California with the idea that I was going to buy uh, four cockpits uh-huh. and knew they weren't going to work. I was going to bring them back to Michigan, sell off three to cover the cost of 
be keeping one, and I was going to keep the Martian Bell Pod, you know, just as a, a trophy, the ultimate Battletech nerd's toy. <laughs> um, so I, I went out there. It was a, a crazy trip where I trouble, you know, the, the freight company wouldn't take my freight. Uh, then I had to rent a truck. Um, uh, boy, it was a goat rodeo. And in the end, I ended up driving uh, this truck back from Irvine, California, with turns out five cockpits. Oh. Um, uh, back to Kalamazoo, uh, stopping long enough to you know nap for a few hours here and there. Um, don't tell DOT. Well, once I got back to Kalamazoo and loaded them into my apartment garage, uh, word got out that I had them. And some former employees, uh, one that stands out in particular that you may know, uh, Chris Chapman, also known as Lynx, a former virtual world uh, and FASA Interactive employee, said, hey, do they work? I said, no, no, they don't work. You know, they didn't come with a lot of parts um, to make them work. And, and, and that he kind of set me on the course to get the parts to get this a set of 3.0 cockpits working. And at that point in time, I was unaware of any other 3.0 vintage cockpits working anywhere in the country. Um, and with the help of Al Emerson at Virtual World and uh, a few other uh, people out there, I actually got the cockpits up and running. And kind of got a little bit of a, a little nerd famous for about five minutes on the internet at that point <laughs> sure. in time. I bet. Um, and, and then from there, it was just, you know, who you know, who you meet. Uh, you know, this this gave me access to some really cool uh, people within the Battletech community. I ended up meeting Ross Babcock over there at FASA before they had uh, finally closed up FASA, developed a relationship with Virtual World Entertainment as I was running a set of their cockpits. I really kind of needed their blessing to really do much of anything with them uh, and can started to develop our own little Battletech community here in Kalamazoo. Uh, and then when you came to my uh, house and I, my studio building out behind the house in the woods, you know, I started to curate a collection and create an environment that when people came over, uh, they got to see these really cool games you wouldn't see at that point in time anywhere else in the world. And uh, you know, kind of you know, experienced something really unique. And not only did we get a great following with our Martian football leagues and, and Kalamazoo playing Red Planet, um, we ended up getting people from as far as Germany and Japan to come out and play in these old 3.0 cockpits. Mm-hmm. And then it really took off from there. <laughs> it was, you know, as, as, you know, as you know, we had some pretty successful leagues, you know, and we ran the yeah. 3.0 hardware, but always, always looking to, you know, the future bigger and better. Um, an opportunity came along in 2005, where Virtual World was uh, uh, existed primarily to support uh, some of the contracts that they have with Dave and Buster's, and Dave and Buster's chose to terminate that revenue share agreement, and so the principals that owned Virtual World at that time decided that they were going to exit the business. Uh, so I had tendered an offer uh, to at that time the uh, president and one of the owners of Virtual, Jim Garbarini. He accepted my offer, and then uh, you know that deal was, I think, inked uh, late summer, early fall of 2005, and I believe in December we had announced that I was taking over the company. Yeah. Uh, so that meant that I was moving up to Tesla. The Tesla cockpits came yeah. to Kalamazoo. So let's. So so yeah, we've te- we've teased that a little bit. We've talked about three O pods. I said something about new yeah. pods, right? So. Yep. So let's let's uh, talk about. 
what a leap that was. I, like, like um, I think about the experience of the 3.0 pods, right? They, they were they 3.0. Uh, I, I honestly, I don't know what one or two looked like. I don't know that I've ever seen a picture of one of those. But these, yeah, the, these 3.0 pods were basically plywood boxes with some monitors and a nice seat and a joystick and a throttle control, right? Yeah, yeah. So these were, you know, that 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 plywood that all arcade machines were made of at that time. Um, everyone called them the coffin, right? So this yeah. was uh, essentially uh, the third iteration of cockpits. Uh, we could split hairs on two point five three zero. We won't. Um, <laughs> so it was a lot of it was a lot of cu- it was all custom hardware. You know, it had a card cage with these fancy Motorola CPUs. It had an Amiga 500 running the, the radar screen. Uh-huh. They had uh, these these older Macintoshes as the main console to run it all. And yeah, you were you were in a box that had one EGA, you know, 27-inch monitor in front of you. You had a little 13-inch color monitor down below. And then you had all of these buttons and LED readouts. Yeah. And, you know, the, they were the panels for your weapons and, and doing all of these functions to eject a weapon or select a different button. Yeah. And, of course, and, none of those switches and buttons are labeled, right? So you just kind of have to know what they all do. <laughs> right. The display would kind of change, but you you had to read the manual. You yeah. you were not getting into three O and playing in advanced mode with full heat and ammo bay fires um, without some training. Right. Uh, ab- absolutely not. Right. Yeah. And and so uh, it, to to again kind of kind of describe for for listeners anybody who's maybe never seen what those games looked like when you were playing them. Imagine just like a half step above Super Nintendo graphics, right? Imagine what Star Fox looks like on Super Nintendo, and it's just a little bit better than that. Is that, is that a fair assessment? It, it is. This was really the beginning of, of the Polygon simulation era. Yeah. Um, you know, right, right before this, they were actually sprites in the original, uh, you know, up to, I think, uh, 1.0 and 2.0. Yeah. Um, or... I, you know, I, I actually wasn't there for the two. I know two point five and three O were fundamentally, you know, the the same kind of technology. Yeah, it was it was it was shaded polygons. There was no texture mapping, um, and I think it went at about I want to say twelve to fifteen frames a second. But that might be a little optimistic at at, at what <laughs> right. at three three twenty by two forty or whatever that that low end of 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 that was. Yeah, yeah. It's all blurry now. Yeah. So so uh, okay so so continue so so you you now are the owner of Virtual World Entertainment. Congratulations! What's your next step? Thanks. Um, well, next step uh, th- that continues to evolve. You know, certainly when I bought the company, uh, I had a lot of lofty ideas. I thought I was you know the smartest guy in the room, and I had big plans. Well, as you probably know, Rob, and no one else does. You know, my background was actually in manufacturing and IT. I, you know, I don't have a software development background, and and that reality bat uh, struck hard and fast. You know, I, I, I was really hoping, I, I really, you know, was going to try to, um, you know, m- move forward with uh, putting other types of experiences on the Tesla cockpits. You know, a lot of people don't know that, you know, games like Crimson Skies, like, originated as a cockpit game before it was a board game or PC game or Xbox game. Yeah. You know, and and this the, the Tesla platform was always meant to have all kinds of different experiences. So my logic was, if I could adapt uh, 
some other types of experiences, in particular flight simulators, to the Tesla cockpit platform, then I could demonstrate a little bit more uh, uh, utility and value in that platform and then start to maybe seek out investment for building a new version of the cockpit. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the Tesla cockpit was essentially 4.0, right? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. And, and I think we've done every. I kind of did a disservice not describing that. So the 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 Tesla platform was actually PC based. Now the uh, we had Tesla uh, 4.0, which uh, was uh, still custom. PCs running Novell DOS with these really fancy $15,000 texture mapping boards. You know, this is 1994 or 1995 vintage. Um, And then, uh, I want to say around 2002, 2003, I might have the year wrong, um, we came out with what was called Tesla 2, which was a Windows PC-based platform using NVIDIA GPUs, um, and we were using the MechWarrior 4 Mercenaries engine um, with a customized experience to work with in the cockpit. So inside of the Tesla cockpit, that was that was a significant evolution because you know not only do you have much more modern hardware, but you actually had seven different screens, mm-hmm. uh, 90 plus functional buttons, and you had what we call the Infinity Optic system, where it made you know made it actually look 3D going through a beam splitter and a concave mirror. Yeah. Uh, really kind of a cool system. It was very cool. So, so, yeah, I should say also, so, the, so back the, to, yeah, the but, cockpit itself, instead of it, it was no longer just a plywood box, right? It was a full molded fiberglass enclosure, and it was much more impressive. It, it was. They, they pulled out all the stops. They used a real design house out of, uh, I think it was called Frog Studio. They designed stuff for Bose and, and I think things like that. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a really incredible platform. The, the technology in this system to uh, give you a unique experience was really remarkable. Yeah. Um, nobody, I mean, nobody did anything like this. And, and we, we always try to explain the Infinity Optic system to people. Um, and they you really can't get it unless you see it. It's like explaining v, you know, a VR headset. Yeah. Like people just imagine they're looking at screens. Like, n- no, it doesn't quite work that way. Um, so, uh, you know, so with this platform, when I bought the company, it, it, it didn't come with a lot of the cockpits. A lot of them were liquidated when, when, when Jim tur- turned down the contracts with Dave and Busters. So I've got, you know, a, 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 a small inventory of cockpits, a couple revenue share arrangements with, companies that were not Dave and Buster's and I wanted to extend this platform which required uh, software development and very quickly I learned how absolutely clueless I was about software development um, I was not capitalized to do something like that and I'm, I'm really risk averse so I really quickly had to pivot my mission uh, instead of turning virtual world into some big company doing something extraordinary uh, I decided keep my day job and support the other hobbyist cockpit owners out there and just really help keep them flying. You know, the, the software and the hardware is still complex. Um, they still require a lot of maintenance. Uh, the licensing arrangements with Microsoft and, and now tops are, are not, uh, they're not simple. Um, so I, you know, just kind of stayed uh, at the helm to try to imp- 
extend the life of the systems. And to help do that, I end up modifying the Kalamazoo set of cockpits uh, for uh, convention use. So we did a lot of uh, you know hack and slash work and some re-engineering and made them mobile to take them to events like Gen Con. And we ended up uh, you know being pretty successful you know running these at large conventions like like Gen Con and Origins and things like that. And you know by uh, proving that it's a viable product in that environment, we also uh, had other cockpit owners that we work with throughout North America that were doing the same thing. So you know, uh, one group that I think, uh, is more well known than us is is actually the guys at Metcore down in Houston. Uh, they do Dragon Con a lot of events down south there. We had a group called VG Core out of Dallas uh, that was pretty active at some anime stuff down in the Texas area. And then we of course have the Fallout Shelter out of Minneapolis, Minnesota, a very large set that hits a good chunk of the Midwest. And now you know our Mech Jack or Virtual World set is partnered with a company in Grand Rapids, Michigan, called Big Kids Games, where they've taken over a lot of our contracts at Gen Con Origins, and we were doing ASEN for a while, and they've extended that. They've now been as far as Baltimore and doing some major events out there, and they still do Chicago and things like that. So uh, we've turned it into a, a cool little niche business, and, and, and I'm actually really proud to say that you know we have more cockpits uh, functional, I think, operating and making money now um, than when I bought the company. And, you know, we're actually continuing to see growth at these conventions. Like, we now bring 13 of them to Gen Con, and they are selling out almost the entire time that they're operating at Gen Con. Yep. Um, yeah, so, so listeners, cool. if you've been to Gen Con, those are the pods, those are the VR pods we're talking about, the big Battletech pods. This is what we're talking about. And... In, 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 I, I don't know how many people out there uh, have kind of understood uh, what the history of, of this thing is and when they've turned in their ticket to, to play around a Battletech that that it's this 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 is something that has been Nick's passion and many many other people's passion for a very very long time so um, it's, it's certainly a part of part of my personal past and and I just I just love everything about it um, but we haven't talked about red planet yet Oh, we haven't. The, the game. Yeah. 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 I mean, as good as Battletech is, I mean, Red Planet is where it's at. Uh, you know, we used to always tell people that, you know, Battletech gets you in the cockpit. Red Planet brings you back. Yes. Again and again. And, you know, uh, you know, Red Planet is really a, it's a remarkable property, you know, especially because there's so many people in the games industry. There's a, there's a lot of people in the games industry that worked at one point in time for Virtual World in, in its heyday. And, you know, they're all making, you know, incredible games um, in incredible studios. And you can find little hints or, like, little teasers reminding you of Red Planet all over the place because it had a, a real significant uh, influence on them, you know, professionally and creatively. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I love that it's, like, the greatest like one of the greatest electronic games that nobody's ever heard of. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. Do you want to describe, would you like to describe Red Planet, Rob? Sure. Okay. So, yes. uh, so uh, the, the, oh boy, how to describe Red Planet. The, the concept is that um, uh, the, uh, the, the players uh, are, are, pilots of these VTVs, these vector thrust vehicles 
that are that are vehicles used uh, to mine ore uh, from from the surface of Mars. Specifically, they they transport this ore through the canals of Mars, um, and. Uh, 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 you uh, you are all kind of indentured servants of the Colossal Mining Corp, CMC. Uh, I'm I'm saying this now just off the top of my head, and I'm shocked how much of it I remember. <laughs> You're dead on so far. Okay, good. All right. So, uh, and, and this is a very, very oppressive company, an oppressive state uh, of being, really. So uh, uh, at night, when, when the mines are shut down and, and all the workers go back to their to their quarters... Um, the, uh, the rebel Freeman Jack, uh, will, will, uh, uh, send out his pirate signal, uh, uh, across, across the red planet, uh, and is watched and bet on and, and people gamble on, on death races that, uh, Freeman Jack hosts and, uh, and he picks pilots from the employees of the CMC and puts them in these vector thrust vehicles to, uh, to race back and forth, uh, 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 in the mining canals of Mars, and, th- and there's two different types of games that they can play, and one one is a point-to-point race. It's it's just a it, all the canals are basically a straight line. There's some it depends on the map. There's some some twists and turns, uh, but but they're generally it's a point-to-point thing, and you go from one one end of the of the canal to the other uh, to and every time you you hit a goal, you score a point, um, and that's fun and that's great. And some of the uh, some of the the VTVs have have weapons, and there are different classes of VTV. There are light and fast and weak ones and various big and strong and, and, and slow ones. Um, and if you're just doing a race, you want to be in the lightest thing you can. Uh, I think, the, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the flea was the uh, the most popular one. Uh, uh, definitely the, the flea and the bug amongst our group. Yeah. Um, when you, you know, started getting into the, uh, the the real professional pilots, I mean, it was, it was the summit, the particle class. You know, the subatomic particle, like the the quark and the leptons. That's I mean, right. those were, uh, you know, paper paper armor, but boy, could they go fast. Right. But the better game, better than the race, and sometimes it was fun to race. But the better game was Martian football. In uh, Martian football. Uh, was was a, a more exciting experience. Um, you had you still had uh, you had it was a, it was two teams facing off against each other. Each team had one uh, person designated as the runner, and the run, runner's job was to do that back and forth, run from goal to goal. Uh, it, it was typically a four on four. I think some most of the time we actually ran three on three. Uh, in, in Kalamazoo, yeah, we did uh, either Japanese-style two-on-two or three-on-three because we had six cockpits. <laughs> right, exactly. So, uh, but 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 a, a, a ideal core structure. The idea is four-on-four. You'd have yep. one one runner uh, on each team whose goal was to score. Uh, then you would have uh, a blocker and a blocker. Well, I'll, I'll come back to blocker. Uh, and then you would typically have two crushers, and the crushers would be in the biggest, burliest, strongest. Uh, vehicle they could, and their their number one goal was to to slam into the runner and make him crash, because every every time you could you could smash him and stop him, uh, uh, you would stop them from earning points basically. Uh, now that middle that middle ground, the blockers would get in there to get in the way of the crushers to make their jobs more difficult. Um, the uh, the strategy of it, uh, the intensity and the excitement of those games. Is still something that I've never experienced since, and and really is 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 a highlight of my gaming life. Um, uh, I I love it to death. And and tell me if I'm missing any details there. 
Well, you, you, only a few. Your, your description is, is great. And, you know, what, what made it so exciting, you know, you know when you try to describe to someone, it's like, wait, so you're flying around and it's, and it's high-speed bumper cars. Well, well yes. <laughs> and and the, 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 the catchphrase for Red Planet was velocity equals victory, right? Yes. So, you know, one cool element of this game, first off, the gravity was always set to be as if you were on Mars. So here you're flying these hovercrafts um, you know, throughout the mines of Mars with all these obstacles, and you're trying to go as fast as you can. And, and these were modified with things equivalent to, like, JATO rockets, right? So, you know, you can light off a rocket, and you can go down the corridor at, you know, 1,200 kilometers an hour. Oh, but it's only so long. You're going to get to the end of that. You know, you need to, you know, duck and weave and fly and keep this thing from, you know, ramming into the backside of, of the uh, wellhead. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there were some subtle design details that made Red Planet particularly exciting. So, you know, as you describe the runner, right, you know, think of him as the ball. He's running back and forth, and he only gets points by hitting the score zones and going quickly. It's, it's a very important to, to remember that in Red Planet, your points are always based on velocity. Mm-hmm. So when the runner's moving, if he's going slow, he's generating a small amount of points. If he's on a boost and, and, and screaming along, his point values that he's earning per second is very, very high. And so the, the crushers, the guys that are trying to take out the runner, now their job is really twofold. You know, if they obviously want to stop the runner from accumulating points from running back and forth. And it's very difficult to hit that squirrely little guy with this large lumbering beast, you know, of a, of a screaming broccoli or a tarantula, right? You know, these giant ore carriers. Now, but these ore carriers also had those boosters we were talking about. And, you know, if... If the, if the guy was feeling spunky and he sees that runner coming head on, he could light off you know, three boosters simultaneously, accelerate at an incredible rate, and if he can happen to thread the needle and hit that runner or cause that runner to hit the wall and die, the, the points that the crusher would earn would be calculated against the total combined velocity. So if he could, you know, be on a triple triple, right? So he's on not nine burned boosters hauling at, you know, two thousand kilometers an hour in a mining corridor, and he happened to catch that little sucker runner that was, you know, on a boost as well, you would have what I think it kind of became known as, you know, known from Dark Lord as the hit of doom. Yeah. You could <laughs> You know, literally flip the score uh, to a magnitude that was almost unrecoverable unless you could get another hit of doom. Um, so, you know, as a runner, it was always very tense. You know, these guys are, you know, they're suicidal. They're trying to get you. And, you know, you're screaming out. You're communicating with your team. Your cockpit door is open and you're under pressure. And, and the other thing that was really cool design element of the game is if you're winning don't know the score of the team that's losing so you might be at a hundred thousand points and you're thinking you're doing great but they might be just a hundred points behind you yeah and they're holding on to those those boosters right so as a runner your boosts would run out if you mm-hmm. die you don't get them back you've fixed them out but crushers on the other hand uh, they're they're disposable you know, if they missed you in a corridor, they could just take themselves out, respawn in the drop zone, and they're loaded up for bear again. So they're incentivized to turn and burn and just go as fast as possible all of the time. 
And so it creates this really wild tension all of the time. <laughs> and that's what made, you know, Red Planet great. I mean, I don't know. I, I know you were there. I know you've been in missions where you know, your team is up. You know, the, the, it's starting to fade to black, and the other team's uh, crusher hits your runner at the last half second, and boom, they have enough points. You get out of the cockpit, you're ready to celebrate, you look back, yep. and you're in second. Yep. And those moments were just incredible to share with all of the other people in the room. Yeah. Not only was it a great game to play, but what a cool spectator game. And, and yeah. how rare is that, that there's a f- game fun and exciting to watch? Yeah, it's true. And and that's one of the great things about the, the way the system was built is that, that it did it was built in with a spectator screen. So while, while the, the pilots are in the pods playing the game, everybody else could be watching the screen and watching what's going on uh, and cheering and, and moaning and gasping the whole way. It was really exciting. You know, it's it's really important footnote I think in gaming history because you know uh, e-gaming is really or e-sports has really taken off taking mm-hmm. off and virtual world was actually doing this uh, in practice going all the way back to pretty much I think 1990 1991 yep. so they had you know these achievement systems your name and lights you know these printout logs of how you did you know this this company really kind of invented a lot of these concepts that would get you uh, invested into the system or the platform or, or this, this this universe, mm-hmm. um, and they you know to Virtual World's credit, you know back in I think uh, uh, 95, 96, I don't have the year right, but they actually featured the World Finals um, between the U the U S and Japanese teams was on the Sci Fi Channel. I remember watching. So, so all, all of those you know all of those. Now, well, you know, famous actors that were a part of the training videos for Virtual World, like Cheech Marin and Judge Reinhold and and uh, uh, Nora Dunn, Weird Al, Weird Al was was Freeman Jack. Yep. Uh, you know, they all came out to this event. They were a part of this televised esports tournament of the U.S. teams versus the Japanese teams in in BattleTech and Red Planet individual and team events. Um, you know what what a great uh, standard to set way back when for most of the contemporary gamers uh, that are competitive were even born. Yeah, ahead of its time. It was. Uh, like a lot of things, Jordan Weisman, you know, the, 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 one of the founders and creators of Battletech. Yeah. You know, this guy is just a, a creative force that is always just seems to be two steps ahead of the rest of the world. And sometimes the businesses don't, they're not as successful as, as they should have been. And then a year or two later, somebody has the same idea, and it goes, you know, berserk. <laughs> yep. So, okay, let's. So that's that's what all that was, and what it is today. What what what's what's the future of virtual world? What, where are you going? Where are you headed? Uh, what can you share? Well, you know, right now the mission is still to to keep existing cockpits running. Um, in the past year or so, you know, we've seen uh, a new generation PC finally get uh, worked out that works with our, our weird software and hardware requirements. Um, so those started getting deployed last year. Uh, additionally, our, our friends over in Minnesota at the Fallout Shelter actually had custom uh, LCD replacements, uh, the little MFDs, the six-inch monitors. Mm. Um, we had custom LCD replacements made for those. So we're continuing to uh, find ways to move the platform 
uh, moving forward is probably not the right term. We're looking to keep it around and relevant. Sure. Um, there's not a lot of things going on really extending the platform very far. You know, I'm, I'm not looking to create a new product at this point in time. Um, you know, right now, there really is is no plans for me. This is a hobby that I that I really enjoy. Uh, I'm risk averse, uh, <laughs> and to really to, to really come out with a new uh, real product in the out of home entertainment field. I mean, that just that just takes something that I, I just don't believe that I've got. Okay, sure, yeah, sure. No, that's that's huge. That I mean, that would be that would be a monumental task. Uh, yeah, and and I think. Know, uh, you know, people sometimes don't realize how expensive those arcade machines are. I mean, some of these, you know, real basic uh, uh, redemption machines or, or, or simulators at an arcade; those are you know thirty to forty thousand dollars oh, sure. um, to to buy. And you know, their their manufacturing costs in those are like two to three thousand dollars, maybe a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. The Tesla platform to manufacture. Uh, back in 94, 95, and, and, do, and the dollars then was about $24,000 a piece. Um, you know, to build a system with that level of sophistication just would really price it out of most of the out-of-home entertainment market. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the VR goggles and things like that, you know, really starting to mature, uh, I, I still think for out-of-home entertainment, that's where that's where it's at. You know, if we want high-fidelity really cool shared experiences i really think it's going to be in with augmented reality and virtual reality i agree i, I agree 100 percent. I, I think vr is one of the most exciting developments in in electronic gaming uh in my lifetime um um yeah uh so okay so we spent a lot of time here talking about about electronic gaming right we haven't really talked at all yeah. about tabletop gaming uh, I mean that's the roots of BattleTech, and 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 we we had plenty plenty of weekends or afternoons uh, it, back at your place back in the old days where we would also play good old classic BattleTech, um, and and that's where I learned to love it. Um, but Red Planet is where it's at for me. I mean that's that's in my heart. So if somebody was going to try and pursue a tabletop game of Red Planet. Um, what what do you think key features of that would have to be? Where where where's the hook for that? Well, I certainly think with uh, if you wanted to translate what made ex- the the electronic game exciting, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, first off, I think the universe is really rich. I think kind of the characters and the narrative for that world uh, has, has is, is fertile ground. To come up with a cool stories, cool narratives, and give people an opportunity to become, you know, the the hero of their own story, and in in this world, you know, on Mars, mm-hmm. um, you know, and trying to escape, you know, the the colossal mining corporation dealing with the police. Um, you know, for a, a, a some other kind of game, you know, I think creating a game mechanic that is really uh, speaking to the speed in the chaos, right? Mm-hmm. You, you are always on the edge of control. And I think it would be really cool if you could create some kind of game um, that could really capture that. And I, and I think I think with, with Red Planet, um, there was a game that Fossa Corporation did uh, uh, with, I think, Racing Chariots. It was in, I think, 
in, in a coliseum or I'm, I'm, boy, I wish I had links with me right now because he could he could complete he could t- he could give you the whole backstory. But I think Red Planet was really kind of a variation of that concept, you know, narrow narrow corridors, you know, uh, uh, people flying by each other at high speed, you know, high stakes, you know, taking people out. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think if you could have that element where uh, you know, it's fast moving. And, and your points are all based on you know, total velocities, total energy. Um, I, th- I think that would, I think that'd be cool. You know, I think there's, you know, I've, I've seen these you know, board games that are out there, these kind of ship simulators or space simulators, and they're tracking a lot of, of variables, right? That, to me, that that's kind of one of the engaging and fun things about the more sophisticated games that you have a crazy amount of variables that you're tracking. Yeah. And boy, if you can just just tune it just right, um, or, or recognize the opportunity at the right moment to do a thing that just seems crazy and has you know great risks but great rewards. Um, sure. No, that's what comes to mind. I I, I, I don't think about it a lot, uh, but what a cool property that somebody could do something with. I agree. I totally agree. So. Uh, um, so uh, uh, we're we're getting uh, close to running out of time here tonight. So um, um, what I don't know are, are there are there things you want to talk about that I haven't asked you about, or th- things you you want to share with with people that that I don't know to bring up? What do you think? Well, you know, certainly with with in, in respects to virtual world. I mean, there's you know every time we go somewhere or go to a convention or you know we get active on a forum somewhere on the internet, you know. There's always the, wow, I didn't know those were still around. My dad took me to those when I was a kid. Hmm. And I, it, we're still out there. You know, there's still, you know, really active uh, groups of people that own cockpits that are, that are trying to uh, give everybody a chance to play. You know, n- nobody's doing this as a full-time job. I mean, these are hobbyists. These are gamers that are passionate about this that are trying to bring it to other gamers that are that will become passionate about it as well um so you know in in particular in around the midwest and and down in you know florida and and texas area you know if you're involved with a convention and the cockpits uh are, are are not coming to your event you know reach out to these guys if that's something that you want to uh work out you know support support the cause you know we're we're still here um, you mentioned MacJock.com earlier. You know, earlier this year, I, or late last year, I finally uh, updated the website to try to include a little bit more uh, contemporary information and, and, and keep people informed as to where the cockpits are going. You know, Facebook is you know the the platform uh, to really learn what's going on. Um, we've got our you know Twitter account that we try to keep people informed. But that that would be the biggest thing is we're still out there. We're 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 keeping them flying. Uh, and we we welcome a chance to give you an incredible experience. You know, we we're always we always hear people say, "Oh, well, those are you know, those are two thousand vintage two thousand graphics," and you know, it's like, "Okay, well, that's true." Well, why would I play this? You know, this is so old. Well, you know, it's, it's a unique experience. And then, sure enough, you know, even the most jaded gamer. Uh, once they've played it once, they're hooked. You know, it's it's not about the graphics. It's not about you know maybe the mechs. It's it's just a really cool shared experience. Um, that's like nothing else. What matters is that it's fun as hell. It, 
It is. And, yeah. you know, you don't, have to, you don't have to look very far on the Internet to find people still, you know, giving us a lot of love. You know, uh, uh, Poly, uh, one of the writers for Polygon magazine, you know, uh, gave us quite a bit of love from his experience at Gen Con. You know, I was out at MetCon, you know, for the big kind of Battletech convergence event uh, in, in Vancouver with Piranha Games this past December. I mean, there's there's a lot of Battletech love out there, and we, we really appreciate being a, a, a part of that. And, you know, certainly right now you've got Hairbrain Schemes getting ready to release a brand new PC uh, Battletech game mm-hmm. um, that it was from their Kickstarter, you know, a couple years back. And, and, and just a, a really cool experience made by really passionate and talented people. Of course, Jordan Wiseman's involved in that and Mitch Gittleman and a, and a great team of developers. You know, the guys at Piranha Games, they're releasing MechWarrior 5 at the end of this year. Um, so the guys doing MechWarrior Online, you know, they're, they're, they're taking, trying to take it to the next level. Um, certainly, Catalyst Game Labs that continues to do the, you know, uh, BattleTech board game and novels, and mm-hmm. um, you know those guys. You know, Randall Bills is is still still there doing all of this stuff. You know, Brent Evans, who's running the show over there, um, really awesome, passionate guys. I got to see a lot of cool stuff coming down the pike when I was uh, out there visiting uh, last month. Um, it's, it's really an exciting time to be involved with BattleTech, um, and I've. I, I welcome the opportunity to uh, ride that wave a little bit and, and get the message out there that the pods are still here. Uh, we still have Red Planet. Um, a lot of people don't know that on the Firestorm platform, which is current, you know, our current version of Tesla 2, uh, we actually have Red Planet working in the cockpits on this current iteration. That's fantastic. Um, we just, I didn't know that. We, we just don't get a chance to play it at the conventions. We're too busy. Yeah. Um, but you... You, uh, Rob, you could take a, some co-workers up with you, head up to Grand Rapids, and uh, certainly Jeff up there could uh, get you playing uh, Martian football again. Oh, boy, I'd love to do that. All right. Oh, all right. You just you just got me excited. <laughs> come, to a, come to a remote. Yes. Yes, I'll have to do that for sure. Um, okay, the last thing I want to say... Um, uh, I, I, I told you about how... Uh, how the 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 group that you built and the the parties that you you threw helped helped me help me become who I am right I yeah. I uh, I bought from you years ago I bought some of some of the the door art uh, you mentioned Martian Bell before and 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 I don't I don't recall how many different pieces of art there were for the different pods but there were there there were there were unique pieces of art. Uh, just, uh, in the style of like World War II bomber nose art. Yeah, nose art. Yep. Yeah, that all had kind of a cool sci-fi uh, 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 style to them, and I bought from you uh, a Martian Bell, a sarcophagus, and Mistress Quickly, which were my three favorites, and uh, and I have I have them framed in my I have them hanging on a wall uh, right outside my office door here at home. I will I will put a picture of those in the show notes if anybody wants to to take a look at those. Um, and, and I have to tell you, I also had I had uh, a blueprint of the Screaming Broccoli, which was kind of the iconic VTV from Red Planet. Uh, I had that, and uh, I, I retrieved it. We, we, we moved last year. I retrieved it from where I had it stored because I was excited. I was going to find a place to finally be able to hang it up. And I got to the new house, and I unrolled it, and I realized that it was water damaged, and half of it was, was just destroyed. And it, oh. and I, and I didn't throw it away. I've still got it in a corner, but it's uh, it just it just hurt my heart. Um, so so um, I, I don't know. I it just 
it's it's those little things that that I, I like to see every time I walk past the, the the art on the wall. I like to see that and just it kind of reminds me of that that time in my life and and all of the the, the warmth that I got from that. And uh, so so I I don't know. Just to wrap up, I want to say thank you, Nick, for for making all that possible. Well, uh, no, thank you. You know, it's it's it was an incredibly exciting time being able to do that. It was, you know. I, I loved it. I love curating an experience, um, and that was for me the the pinnacle uh, of of being able to do that. Um, so I'm I'm glad I had a positive impact on you. You know, I have nothing but love for our old, you know, Martian Football League participants in, in Kalamazoo. Um, it really was a uh, lightning in a bottle. I mean, we yeah. really had something special there, um, and I think just about everybody looks back with you know with great fondness. Um, but nobody more than me, you know, directly to my right, when you talk about the cockpit doors, is I have an old 3-0 door that has the Pegasus artwork on it. And I have just about everybody's signature that ever came out to the pod bay. I, I told everybody back then that this is going to be my souvenir when I don't get to do this anymore. Um, and, you know, I believe your signature and... Zayas's signature and, yeah. and all of the other uh, pilots that played in those leagues. I'm looking at Red Dog, uh, you know, tons of them, tons of them on there. Yeah. So great time. And, mm. you know, I think we can replace that blueprint. Oh, well, hey, just let, <laughs> let, let me know how I can get my hands on one and, uh, and we'll make that work. Um, Okay, so hey, uh, builders, for real, uh, if you if you are if you have experienced a, a, a virtual world uh, pod, uh, if you have played BattleTech before, um, do it again. If you've never done it before, but but you're curious, find these guys at a convention. Uh, uh, it's well worth your time. It's it's like we said, it was ahead of its time. Uh, there's nothing else out there. Uh, uh, it's you're not going to regret it. That's that's the best I can say. You're just not going to regret it. Um, so, uh, Nick, hey, uh, what what's if somebody wants to get in touch with you or wants to learn more about uh, uh, the BattleTech pods, about Red Planet, uh, what, where can they find resources online on Twitter, whatever? What do you recommend? Um, certainly, the website is still around. MacJock.com. M E C H J O C K. Um, but, you know, really the best place to get in touch and get the latest information is really on Facebook. Uh, we have a uh, group that I believe is just virtual world entertainment. Um, you know, a, a lot of the old school pilots, uh, as, as well as people we meet at the conventions are very active on there. Um, you can connect with, uh, all of the other, uh, cockpit owners. Uh, you can connect with. Uh, you know, some of the you know, people are, that were involved with the company, you know, 20 years ago. Um, it's, it's kind of our, our convergence point. Last I checked, I think we were up to six or 700 uh, members. And you know, we, we try to keep it pretty well updated with what's, what's going on. Cool. Excellent. Um, okay. And uh, so, builders, uh, hey, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, we're creeping up on episode 300. That'll be in just a few weeks. Look forward to that. We've got something special lined up for you. Uh, I think you guys are going to have a good time with that. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can send us an email to buildinggamepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter 
at podcastbtg. Jason is at J.A. Slingerland. I am at poorly underscore designed. Uh, like us on Facebook. Uh, give us a five-star review on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play and all those podcast places. Call our Google voice number. Leave us a voicemail, an obnoxious one, please, uh, at 770-TEL-BTG. And, uh, and we'll, we'll do this again uh, next week, as we always do. Again, I fully expect Jason to be back next week. Uh, I prom- I'm not going to promise. Uh, I'd say odds are 70, 70%, maybe 60. We'll see. Um, Nick, one more time. Thanks so much, man. Uh, I really appreciate your time and appreciate this conversation. And uh, uh, yeah, thanks for everything. It was a big thrill for me. Thank you very much. Cool. And good night, one and all. Building the Game is a co-production of Imminent Entertainment and Poorly Designed Studios. All of the ideas presented by Rob and Jason are property of the Building the Game podcast. Next time on Building the Game. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I need to actually get you out to the house. I've got the giant virtual world sign on one wall. I've got the mad cat in the corner and a bunch of the uh, red planet art. Oh, that's so cool. Just kind of floating around here. If you want to send me any of those pictures, I can put those in the show notes too. I, I can do that, yeah. Yeah, okay, sweet. Some goodies. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Thank you. <laughs>